Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the Republic of Benin. There's going to be a couple of possibly confusing things in this episode that I want to get out ahead of. Firstly, much of what we're going to be talking about today is centered around the Republic of Biafra, which was a secessionist state much like many others we've covered on this show, but it is not the star of today's episode, so just keep that in mind. Secondly, yes, there is another country called the Republic of Benin that still exists today, but that's not what we're talking about. This Republic of Benin was in south-central Nigeria, which is confusing for us, but it wasn't so confusing for people back then, because what we now call Benin was known as Dahomey at that time. So, to summarize, we are talking about the Republic of Benin in 1967, as it existed within the borders of modern Nigeria, and not modern Benin. So, here we go. There are very few countries in the world that suffer from as much ethnic tension as Nigeria does, and that was true 60 years ago as well. Nigeria is a product of European colonialism, and is therefore home to a wide variety of ethnic groups that don't necessarily get along. Broadly speaking, the Hausa Fulani live in the northern half of the country, the Yoruba dominate the southwest, and the Igbo the southeast. There are something like 370 other ethnic groups in the country, but listing them would make for a really boring podcast, so let's just focus on the big three. The Hausa Fulani, Yoruba, and Igbo. The trouble started back in 1960, when the British left the region to its independence. Upon the British exit, the colonies of northern Nigeria, southern Nigeria, and Lagos were all combined to form Nigeria. Unfortunately for literally everyone involved, this conglomeration didn't even come close to working. The House of Fulani were led by absolutist Muslim hereditary monarchs, the Yoruba's local leaders were something more like constitutional monarchs, and the Igbo lived in a decentralized democratic system. As you can imagine, a country with that kind of demographic background was simply destined for trouble, and it really didn't take long for major troubles to find it. For instance, on January 15th of 1966, a group of rogue army officers enacted a coup against Prime Minister Abu Bakr Balewa. The men accused Balewa of allowing corruption to spread throughout the government, which was quickly draining the finances of the country. Unfortunately, this coup wasn't just members of the army rising up to topple a dictator. In reality, it had ethnic tensions written all over it. Balewa's government was primarily run by Hausa Fulani Northerners, and the military men that acted against it had been primarily ethnic Igbos. Seeing this as an attack against their people, Hausa Fulani people began attacking Igbo people all over the country, sparking a low-level ethnic war that would last months. Casualty estimates vary wildly, but anywhere from 8,000 to 30,000 Igbo men, women, and children were killed in 1966 alone. Any Igbo living in the northern regions of the country packed up their things real fast and fled south to the Igbo homeland, resulting in somewhere around one million internal refugees flooding into the southeast. All these refugees made it pretty difficult to carry on with daily life in the southeast, and on May 27, 1967, things got even worse. On that day, General Yakubu Gowon, a northerner, 
who was the military head of state for the country at that time, announced that he was reshaping the administrative units of the country. Under his new system, the Igbo-dominated and oil-rich eastern region would now be split into three separate states, coincidentally with the Igbo population centers, all in the new east-central state, while the rich oil deposits were now in the southeastern and rivers states. Obviously, the news that they were about to lose their oil wealth wasn't extremely well-received among the Igbo, so they rallied under the flag of the governor of the former eastern region, a man named C. Odumegwu Ajukwu, and declared the independent Republic of Biafra, claiming all territory formerly held by the Igbo within the now-defunct eastern region. Should this breakaway state succeed, the Igbo would be both safe from further ethnic violence and extremely wealthy off of oil revenues. But here's the thing. Oil is the lifeblood of Nigeria. Then and now, it makes up the overwhelming majority of the country's export revenues, so there was no way that Gowon was going to take this lying down. Gowon's military government immediately placed a trade embargo on all shipping to and from Biafra, with an exception for oil, of course. This embargo literally forced Biafra to become a petro-state, relying almost exclusively on oil to keep their economy afloat, so the Biafrans began pressuring foreign oil companies hard to hand over royalties to them instead of the Nigerians. When oil giants like Shell and British Petroleum finally agreed to the Biafran demands in late June, Gowan in turn extended the embargo to include oil, severely crippling all of Biafra's trade with the outside world. Gowan now moved to take back the rebel territory by authorizing special police action by the army to crush the secessionists. For about a week, two columns of federal Nigerian troops pushed into Biafra from the north, taking heavy casualties along the way, but successfully capturing towns and small cities nonetheless. Now that they were facing an incursion on their sovereignty and a semi-rapid loss of territory, the Biafrans sprung into action with an attack of their own. On August 9th, the Biafrans march west out of Biafra and along the coast of Nigeria, headed in the direction of Lagos, the national capital. Along the way, the rebels successfully captured the entire Midwestern state, located right in the middle of Nigeria's coastline, probably in no small part thanks to the high number of fellow Igbos that lived in that region. This surprising loss prompted Gowon to declare total war, and the Nigerian civil war was now in full swing. In the face of a full-scale mobilization of the entire Nigerian armed forces against them, the Biafrans were forced to fall back pretty quickly. Having been just 130 or so miles outside of the capital on August 21st, Ajukwu's rebels could hardly hold on to their Midwestern conquests by mid-September, a pretty quick retreat, all things considered. Fortunately, Ajukwu had an idea on how to stop or slow the Nigerians on their way to attack Biafra. As Ajukwu retreated through the Midwestern state, he met with local leaders on September 19, 1967, and they formalized and established the Republic of Benin, named after Benin City, which it held. The idea here was that by creating another breakaway state, Gowon's federal government would look even worse. If Gowon attacked the Beninese, he would be opening up a second front in the Civil War, 
and he'd be the aggressor once again, having technically been the one to throw the first punch against the Biafrans when they seceded. Make no mistake, though, the Republic of Benin was very much a puppet state of Biafra. Sure, they had their own borders on paper, but without the support of Ajukwu, they would never be able to hold off for even a day against Gowan's Federals. And it's funny I say that, actually, because they didn't have the support of Ajukwu. He was in active retreat back to friendlier territory. And wouldn't you know it, as he left, the Federals moved in, and the Republic of Benin, the puppet state of a breakaway state caught in the middle of a civil war, was reconquered by the Nigerians on September 19th, 1967. Yes, you did hear that right. The Republic of Benin was both founded and conquered on the same day, with a lifespan of somewhere around seven hours. Like I said, without the support of a Jukwu, the Beninese wouldn't last a day. So, I think it's pretty obvious why the Republic of Benin has been forgotten. The Nigerian Civil War would rage on for three more years, involving somewhere around 300,000 soldiers and claiming the lives of up to 2 million people. And with a lifespan of seven hours, the Republic of Benin was wrapped up in the events of a single afternoon. There were people in class or at work for longer than the Republic's entire existence. So there you have it, probably the shortest-lived country we have or ever will cover on the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on your podcast listening platform of choice. Uh, and if you didn't enjoy it, please don't leave a review, but do come back next week.